Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cleep. On today's episode, it's our live episode two with MDV and Gabe. This one was a lot of fun. We talk about the athletes being paid for shirts at the CrossFit Games. Have a little throwback to King Kong. I don't know if you guys remember that workout. Talking about wanting to quit your job and starting a gym. What are some things to think about? And one of the conversations I really thought was valuable was this idea of what has better margins, gyms or online? Is it better to go brick and mortar or better to go online? And finally, of course, we finish it off with EOE40 and how we're feeling about it. Before we get into this episode, we have new content coming out on a regular basis. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Let us know what you're looking for and make sure to tune in on Thursdays at 8.30 Pacific time to jump in live on Facebook or on YouTube to join on the conversation. Let's have an incredible episode. Let's go. I was talking to Gabe about um, there had to be a change of a venue for Ava's Kitchen. So Ashley's been working hard on that because uh, it was kind of like a blessing and a curse. Right? We wanted the 49ers to do really, really well, and they have done really well. But Ava's Kitchen takes place at the 49ers stadium. And so the NFL came in and said that basically they could have no outside guests until after the Super Bowl. So Ashley had to find a new venue. So she's been working hard on that. It's been, um, it's been cool to watch her grind it out. Very cool. Hey, are we recording right now? Are we live right now? Yeah. We are live right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> we are live right now. It would be cool to have a little lead in into that, but I guess we're rocking and rolling. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it, man. That's it. Um, right. Well, guys, uh, look, I know there's always stuff on the on the weekly agenda. Um, I did put out like a, a Q&A thing on, on Instagram last week. It ended up deleting from my channel. I'm not quite sure why, um, but there was a some good questions that came across that I thought would be better suited for longer format episodes, um, including like uh, what is better margins in gym or online? That's an interesting question. Uh, I had another one where a gentleman uh, wanted to quit his job and open up a gym and wanted to discuss kind of pros and cons. Um, those are a few things I think we can talk about. And I know Gabe wanted to talk about a few things. So let's uh, let's rock and roll. I did want to start from a more of a interesting Ava has some new Crocs, and it's the first time anybody in our family's ever bought Crocs, and she loves them. She she's praising these Crocs. Have you guys ever worn Crocs before? No, no, neither of you. No, no. no. I know a lot of people who work for Crocs. It's a uh, a company that's kind of Boston based, and they had a lot of like transplants from Reebok go back and forth. So. Anyways, it's she's been raving about them, so I might go try them out. But uh, anyways, Gabe, where you want to start, man? Ah, oh, man. I mean, I thought those business questions that you you had from the Q&A were pretty interesting. We can kind of kick off with that. One thing that I saw just this morning that we can talk about whenever that I thought was super interesting, I'm super curious to get your guys' take, is you know this whole idea of <clears throat> royalty payments for CrossFit Games athletes and how they're speaking out about not getting a cut of noble jersey sales i thought that was interesting um and you know it hasn't come up before um and i know that you know with mdv's experience with reebok I'm, I'm i'm curious your thoughts and jay your experience as you know an athlete um and i think it plays into a lot of really interesting conversations like recently you know college players being able to get paid i think it even ties one thing that i'm super passionate about baseball and kind of how they're going through their collective bargaining agreement but yeah, curious to hear your your guys' thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, MDV, I don't know if you want I, – I pulled it up right here on the screen. So basically what it is is uh, athletes speak out against not getting paid for jersey sales. 
I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of conflicted on the subject. I see, I see a few different angles there. Um, I, I've, I've been in that situation. Um, and I don't know, MDV from a Reebok perspective, you know, you, you were kind of on the, the front lines of this. And so what do you think about that? I am 99% sure that we pay the athletes royalties based on their Jersey sales. I I'm, I'm almost positive. We did. I would have to go back and check, but I remember it was also a discussion at the time at Reebok and there was a very limited amount of names that we used. Right. And there was also a discussion about using non Reebok signed athletes like Frazier, but I, I would have to check. I, I had the feeling that we did pay people out on Jersey sales. Um, but I, I'm not entirely sure. It's been a bunch of years since I worked for, for Reebok. So would have to you check know, it out. But the, the thing about the morning chalk up article was that it highlighted that there is a publicity clause that the athletes sign before they participate in the open. And here's the deal. If you are somebody who wants to participate and play the game and you're going to sign this thing, then you have to live with the fucking consequences. Like, I, I don't, what are you bitching about? You signed the paper that says you're going to do this. You willingly did it. You're an adult. Nobody has a gun to your head. That's what you signed up for. Now I get being upset about the idea of like, well, my image and likeness is being used. Well, yeah, but then you have to figure out a collective bargaining arrangement to get those rights back. And that's why uh, some of the comments that I saw were like, hey, the athletes need a, a union. That's the power of unions, in my opinion, in sports is, and, and you know, uh, obviously kind of the greater landscape is this uh, ability to collectively bargain and then have this bigger power that says, hey, we all, whoever's part of the union, want and, and, and need these rights in order to continue going through this route or going this route, or we're just not going to participate. But when you have one or two athletes that make a stink about it and they go, oh, I'm not going to participate, you know, the consequences aren't super high unless it's somebody like a Matt Frazier at the time or Froning at the time who says, hey, I'm out, then it's a bigger deal. Yeah, you know, now that you bring it up, uh, MDV, I think I do remember getting paid a nominal amount for Reebok jerseys or that for CrossFit Games jerseys that are sold my name on them. I, I think now that you bring that up, I think I do remember that. Um, but I think it brings together a bigger question. I think that, you know, this article, I mean, it's fine. I just think that if an athlete, like you said, if they sign up to, you know, give away their 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 right to, you know, their, their, their use of their likeness and their name and whatnot, like it's part of the gig, you know, that's what they're signing up for. And would, and I think that if they have challenges with that, they need to address it. Maybe a union's the way to go. Who knows? But I think the sport in general will go through some evolution in terms of trying to find a way to get these athletes paid. I don't know what the future holds because ultimately at the end of the day, we need more spectators so that there's more money that comes in. There's more sponsorships that come in so that their the events are more successful. And as the events become more successful, they could pay the athletes more money. And I want to see it grow that way. I just, I don't know. I don't know if we're there yet because there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of change in the CrossFit game season. And I think hopefully the next couple of years, it'll kind of smoothen out because right now, if the events aren't making any money and there's not a lot of money coming in for sponsors, there's just not that much money around to then pay the athletes. But as the overall ecosystem grows, hopefully there was more money to pay the athletes. I just don't know if it's there yet. And um, I don't know if the athletes realize that. I mean, not, I, I think I think it's important to note. I'd say there's probably 20 athletes on the men's side, 20 athletes on the women's side that make a full-time living off off competing um that that'd be my estimate 
I like this. Way, yeah. I, I had this discussion with somebody pretty recently where I actually think that CrossFit as like a as a sport has a big issue in terms of like the notoriety of athletes. Because when this thing first came around, the community was smaller. <clears throat> there weren't as many people doing it. And you had people rise to the top of the athletic field and do these ungodly things that you had never seen anybody do before. Like, King Kong, baby. Yeah, like you. Like you were a fucking like uh superhero out there right and like you would go to the open and the regionals and the teams and the games and you do it year after year after year and like it was it took a while for other people to kind of catch up and get to that level of athleticism and skill and you guys built brands and notoriety and there were sponsorships involved and like it was riding this wave up and it almost feels like we've reached a point where you have those big names like a lot of the guys who are in the legends category they're still the most well-known people out there. And there are some people who had come up like in the middle, like the Vellners of the world. And obviously Frazier kind of came up a little bit later, but you know, as we get more modern, some of these people who are coming up right now, like their shelf lives are so much shorter because they, we have many more people who are interested, who have been training for a long time and getting into the sport. And there's kind of more of like a rotating door. I looked at the Wadapalooza roster and it's like, I don't know three quarters of these people anymore. Yeah. I, I that, felt the same way. Issue. Yeah. I felt the same way. Cause we're, we are. And, 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 and so where is the onus at with that? I, I don't know MDV, but here's a good question for you. Right. Is that if you get, I, I agree with everything you just said, but then what could CrossFit do to help that? I mean, I think they need a story tell more on their athletes, right? Because they need to have people feel more bought into what's, what's these people's lives and what's going on. So you are interested in watching them because to your point, I looked at the leaderboard too. I didn't know half the names and I'm, I, I'm, I figure we're in the space, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a problem that I'm not certainly suited to solve at all. I'm just kind of pointing <laughs> yeah. out an issue. You know, I think one of the ways that you can start to think about it is how do you, you have to change a little bit of how the sport has traditionally been run. I think if you don't want it to continue down this path where you just crown one person the fittest and that's really the only recognition that gets any sort of staying powder power and notoriety and even when you have a person who is the world's fittest who doesn't embrace the role of being the fittest and doesn't want to do the media tours and doesn't really want to put themselves out there and publicize it doesn't want to be a superstar those people get lost in the shuffle nobody really remembers that ben smith won the crossfit games like he, he is a fantastic person, not taking anything away from him, but he also didn't really embrace the role of being the world's fittest man. You know, like he wasn't necessarily out there being super publicized. He didn't play into it. You see things like what's happened with UFC and they create these different, obviously, weight divisions and they have rankings and they have titles and they have events that go on throughout the year. So you can build storylines and you can create rivalries and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't exist in the sport of fitness. And maybe yeah, it Flow should. Grappling's doing a good job doing that with their flow sports, with uh, all their different, you know, live events. Um, by the way, for those of you who are listening live, if you have questions or you want to comment on something, go ahead and just shoot it in the comment box and uh, Gabe MDV and I will make sure that we uh, we address it. Um, but yeah, the, the sport's evolving for sure. But I think you're, you're still right um, on that. And with the t-shirts, just kind of close the loop there. Like, you know, if the athletes are upset about not getting paid a royalty on t-shirt sales, I think that's a fraction of where the challenge is. I think that it should be addressed and they should figure out what the, what the 
what the deal is. If they're not going to get paid on it and they agree to it, that is what it is. But I mean, even if they sold a lot of shirts, we're talking about a very small fraction of revenue that's going to help them live off of, right? They need to be thinking about other things in addition to t-shirt sales. What are you going to sell? You know, a couple thousand shirts. What is the percent royalty on that? It's just not enough to live off of. So what are they going to do to build up a brand and how could CrossFit support them to then be a pro athlete so they can keep being, you know, motivational, inspirational, and then the sport continues to grow. Anyway. The, the one thing from that morning chalk up article, I didn't read the whole thing, but I read the, the snippets and some of the comments. Noble's comment about why they didn't do royalties in 2021 is fucking horseshit. You have to call that out as being horseshit because they're what saying, did they say? I, I, I read half of it. I didn't read the whole thing. The, the statement was that the timeline was too short and that the margins were too thin for them to pay royalties to the athlete. But guess what? They still fucking made the t-shirts and sold them at the game. So it's like, it's not like they were too short or too thin to not make the t-shirts and sell them at the game. They just didn't figure it out. And they're like, you're kind of covering your ass there. Yeah. I, 100%. Maybe they didn't make a lot of money on it, but companies like Noble aren't in the business of losing money. So they made a profit on those t-shirts. And yeah, maybe it was a fraction of the profit that they made on the entire sales over the weekend, but they probably made a fuck ton of profit on selling the shoes. So I think that that excuse of being like, oh, well, you know, we, it was too much of a short timeline and the margins were too thin and we couldn't pay you because we used your likeness. That's nonsense. That, that is a complete nonsense excuse in my opinion. Hey, uh, while, because we are on the subject, we were talking about, uh, like, uh, you know, old school CrossFit. I, I had to bring this up. I was, I was talk, uh, you know, the other day I did a King Kong ish workout. Right. And, uh, do you remember this one, MDV? Uh, I was inspired. So I did like this King Kong-ish thing the other day where it was like a very similar routine. Do you remember this one, MDV? At the Arnold? Yeah. Do you remember this? And I ate shit right here. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Who's that behind oh, you? That behind you, that was... Um... That's uh, Rob Orlando. No, 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 no. Oh. Uh... Uh, I don't know like who's a, behind. He was like a military guy. I forget his oh, name. yeah, Patrick Burke? No, Pat um, Burke. Yeah. Yeah, what a legend. Spencer Hendel up there in the front. Oh man, dude, the first time that King Kong came out, the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because we had a similar version that came up at NC Fit and I tested it. First time I heard about King Kong, I remember I was watching Josh Everett do it. And and it was a uh, one muscle up, two squat cleans or or two uh, two, two deadlifts or no one deadlift, two muscle ups, three squat cleans and four handstand pushups for like three rounds. And I remember I, I filmed this video and I wish I could find it on YouTube. I couldn't find it, man. I, I, I felt I must've spent 45 minutes trying to complete three rounds because I couldn't get the 250 squat clean. And I failed so many times. And then sure enough, here it is fast forward. And you watch us do it at the Arnold it's just an example of how the sport progressed so quickly. And I'm wondering what's going to happen in the next iteration of where the sport of cross is going to go. But I thought I'd switch gears a little bit, but let's keep it going. Is that the, the weight on King Kong is 250? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm going to, I'll, I'll confirm that. To, I think I'm, we have to look it up and confirm it because honestly, wasn't it 275? Right, it might be heavier than that. Yeah. I think it's 275. I think it's 275. It would be odd on the barbell, even, even back in the day for all the odd, odd stuff that went down. But that workout, I don't want to say it's germane. I don't want to say it's like very easy for people to complete. I certainly, 
I certainly can't complete it, but, um, Okay, you, here it is. One deadlift at 455, which is – that's heavy. That's a heavy I mean, deadlift. That's heavy, yeah. Then two muscle-ups, three squat cleans at 250 for men, 175 for women, oh, wow. and then it was the handstand push-ups. Yeah, for three rounds, right, for time? Yeah, I think it's three rounds, yeah. That's so interesting yeah. because that's still a heavy – that's still a heavy deadlift. I mean, That's yeah. still a super the, heavy the top, deadlift. The top athletes now obviously can deadlift that, but that's still a heavy deadlift. But I feel like the 250 now – like that's an easy touch and go for the top athletes now. Yeah, four fifty five. That was heavy. But I just remember when that came out, and you know, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, and uh, you know, because each each component of it was so was so challenging. And then you know, I have it at the Arnold was a cool expression. Um, anyways, I just I saw that video on YouTube. I thought I'd share it. I um, I love the ability to pull these up on the internet. Um, so guys, I mean, switching over, I had a question about, you know, what's better margins, um the brick and mortar or online and what's better work-life balance um, brick and mortar or online. I think this question is, is um, complex to say the least. Very, very complex. And I'm wondering what you guys think. I mean, I guess we could start off with uh, kind of unpacking this idea of like pros and cons about starting a brick and mortar versus starting it online, because I don't think it's a zero sum. I don't think it's, I think they each have their pros and cons, each one of them. Where do you guys want to start? I mean, to put it simply, you know, your, your margins and, and work-life balance or the potential for that to be a lot more positive is obviously online. I mean, the online coaching space is booming now for that reason. You know, you can market yourself on Instagram. It's free marketing. You can offer such robust like training. And, and again, like, I'm talking here coaching. It could be fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, even business coaching. Like you can take a skill set that you have and want to go out there and coach and using platforms like Kajabi and all of these things, like you can build a course, a training program and market yourself and build a brand on social with very little overhead. I mean, if you're even using the pro versions of a lot of these platforms, you know, you might be paying like $200, $300 a month in overhead and you can build a pretty robust business. Now, is that easy? And can it happen overnight? Absolutely not. It's hard and takes a lot of consistency. But I think that what it really boils down to is like the starting costs and kind of like getting, you know, being able to get started with an online coaching business is a lot easier. Obviously, you don't have to lease a building, buy the equipment, so on and so forth. But I think there's something to be said about a brick and mortar location that is, I don't know, still more tangible. And I feel yeah. like, and I feel like also, and again, this is just my opinion, I feel like there is a shift returning towards people wanting a brick and mortar fitness experience. I think that there's still a lot of opportunity out there in the online space, but I think that there is this kind of, you know, the pandemic weeded out a lot of the businesses that for whatever reason, weren't going to make it or weren't doing a good enough job. And I think there is an opportunity now. Um, but it's a lot tougher and there's a lot more risk. You know, if you go out there and launch an online coaching business, ends up not working out, you know, you didn't sign a lease on a building, you didn't buy a ton of equipment, so on and so forth. I, I agree with everything that Gabe said. I also think it depends on the stage of maturity that the business is at and like what stage you're talking about, you know, in terms of work-life balance. In either one of these scenarios, 
you're gonna have to work to build up your name and your reputation. Mm -hmm. Now the work might look very different. You know, you might have upfront work in terms of like going out there, finding a space, leasing the space, working with the the town or the municipality to get the proper leasing and zoning and all that kind of stuff, building your equipment around you and your team and whatever. But then, you know, on the online side, it's very hard to be just like immediately successful without having, you know, a brand or a personality or having a following or having, you know, uh, obviously you need a setup. You need to have a place where you do your workouts. You need to have equipment. You need to have all those things too. Maybe you don't need to have your own building, but you definitely need to, to work to build up some sort of base of notoriety to at least get some initial clients going. Um, and then you get to the stages of maturity. You know, I think that you can get to a stage of maturity in a brick and mortar business where maybe you, you're taking a step back as an owner and maybe you're not, you know, necessarily working in the business as much or coaching classes as much anymore, but now you're managing people and managing teams and managing systems. When you get to a more mature state of an online business, you can certainly have that, Hey, I'm managing people and I'm managing systems, but that relies on you growing it to a place where you have teams underneath you. Now, if it, you're betting on yourself in an online business, a lot of times those people are constantly, constantly, constantly hustling all the way through the end. There's no off time for those people on social media. You know, I'm experiencing just a, a tiny bit of it with the growth of social media following now. It can become addictive. And then you, you get to a point where you, you put your entire uh, paycheck on the line or your entire livelihood on the line. And now that is all that matters is that all the time you have to be available and accessible or figure out your boundaries yeah. in a way that like keeps you going to continue to make money. Um, I, I think we're, so I just want to highlight one thing that Gabe said, go ahead. Gabe. I, well, I, I, I had something I wanted to share. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, cause that MDB is something you said, brought it up. I think one pro though of going the brick and mortar route is, you know, sometimes going all in, put your feet to the fire. That's, to where you that's do what I was going to say. Yeah, you know, because like sometimes with the online thing, it's so easy to waffle because you're, well, I'm doing this on the side. Like, you know, I'm kind of like spending a little bit of time, so on and so forth. And maybe the online thing could grow to be your, your, your main thing, but you don't have that like push to, hey, there is a lease under my name. Hey, I did spend all of this on this equipment, which might be the push you need to like go all in because, you know, your, your feet's to the fire. Sorry to yeah. steal your thunder, Jay. No, Alberto, thanks for saying. I think that the personal exposure on social networks to create a business is much harder than doing it in normal space. So here's a couple thoughts that I have on this. I, I actually think this topic is really fascinating. Um, I agree with what Gabe said. So you were saying, hey, there's no you know, uh, build out. Uh, there's no uh, lease agreement. There's no, uh, th the barrier to entry of starting an online business is relatively small, right? That's a good and a bad thing. Because it also makes you like you could waffle, right? You could be one foot in, one foot out, or you could also maybe not be as credible or knowledgeable or whatever and get started or not be all in on like your business vision of where you want to go, which again, could be a pro or a con. The pro is, is that you don't expose yourself as much. You could test things without, you know, maybe going into debt and uh, sacrificing your family's, you know, uh, whatever. But there's also the flip side where if you don't commit, you'll never really know if you can reach your potential. So I think that it goes both ways. One of the other things I wanted to say is that we talk about this work-life balance. And this is an interesting conversation. I think MDV, uh, you know, you've probably, you know, because MDV's ramped up his social pretty heavily the last maybe 18 months. And I would imagine, I mean, MDV, what do you, I'll ask myself this. 
from a work-life balance perspective, if you were all online, let's just say, and when then you're always on hypothetically because the phone and the internet is always available and there's always people all around the world being up. But in a brick and mortar, you typically have 5 a.m. class to let's just say 8 p.m. class. And on those weekends, I remember when I was first starting out our business, Sunday, I would coach the morning class. And then I just remember I had this sense of relief because for the rest of the day, the business is closed. I could do my thing and get prepared for the week to come. On an online only business, you don't have that. And I think that's an important characteristic to discuss. That's all. I mean, would you agree, MDV? Like, it's kind of like this always-on mentality, right? I think it's some of it's personality-based. I, I also do think that there are traps that you can fall into. Like, if we're just talking about running a, an online business kind of exclusively through social media, one of the traps is that social media is, by design, very addicting. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. you are getting not only the fulfillment of seeing your uh, business do better, but you're getting... You're getting, I was like, am I being fed an advertiser no, right now? No, sorry. Sorry. I, I was pulling up, um, I, no, I was pulling up the Olsen dude's uh, comment. Sorry. Keep going. Keep going. No, yeah. All good. Um, so social media is addicting. So like you have this, uh, you know, kind of constant like want and desire to continue to grow your following. You get stoked when you see your follower numbers go up. You get stoked when you see like a post or a video do really well. And then on the other side of it, you you feel a little bit like crap when something's not going so well and you're like, oh shit, my engagement's going down. And then you tie that also to the value of like, hey, this is how I'm earning my income and my business depends on this. And there is definitely a way that you can become way, way, way too addicted to your phone in terms of uh, social media and running your business. But what, what, what popped up there that was so distracting? What was that? Why was there a dollar sign attached to it? What is this guy um, trying to sell so, me for 40 So the, the question was, by the way, the question I put up on the screen was like, better margins, gyms are online, better work-life balance, gyms are online. Just want to make sure I put that up. So what I, so the Olsen dudes, uh, this is the first time I've ever seen this. The Olsen dudes actually must have made some type of contribution of forty nine ninety nine to this podcast, which I didn't even know was possible. Uh, so thank you. And she says, Hey, love this topic. In my opinion, online or brick and mortar has to have a connection with the community. Passion is important for building a healthy and thriving community. I agree with that. And he's on day 18 of the EOE 40 challenge. Shout out. Um, I do think either way you go, right? Whether you go online or in person, I, I do think you got to have that connection to the community. I think we've seen success on both sides. One thing that I've noticed just from my personal experience is it is a little bit easier to create a personal connection in person for a lot of people. It's difficult to feel that same connection online, but but it goes both ways. So I just wanted to say, I think that this topic is interesting, but I don't think it's as clear cut as what people think. Because when you also talk about margins, okay, yeah, online has better margins, but there's also expenses to online that people don't think about from hosting services to creating content, capturing the content. How are you going to then register people what percent for example if you go through a company like SugarWad, they take a, a fee so those are additional things i don't think people think about as much whereas at the brick and mortar it doesn't have some of those same fees so for example SugarWad typically takes anywhere from let's just or or those type of services take 20 to 30 percent of revenue whereas a credit card merchant fee is normally anywhere from two to three percent just some just food for thought um, by the way for those of you who are following us live Add us your questions, your comments. I we really love this format. And Olson dudes, thanks for the thanks for the shout out. Oh, and uh, yeah, coming to, to in Ava's kitchen. So, what else we got, guys? I mean, I had a question come through about wanting to quit their day job and start a gym. 
That's another. I think big, that's a great topic question. to discuss. I mean, that's a that's a big topic. Yeah, let's let's hit it. Well, where do you want to start on this? Because it, it, I mean, it really there's so many angles that you can approach this with. I think that you know one of the things that comes up quite a bit is that you know in the type of fitness that we're in, people get a, I don't want to say addicted to it, but people get really, really kind of enthralled by going into the gym and that being the best hour of their day. Like they love it and you should love it. You should love every second that you're spending at the gym with your fitness, with your community, with your coach. It's one of the best things about finding community-based fitness gyms is the fact that like when you go there, it's your fucking happy place. That's amazing. Some of the tough parts about that is that when you leave, you start to look around, you maybe at your job and you go, man, I'm not super happy with what I'm doing with my job, with how I'm making money. I am now becoming super passionate about going to the gym and my fitness and my health and my nutrition and coaching. I am starting to get into coaching. I'm coaching on the side. I'm making some bucks doing that. And then you start to get into this, I don't want to call it daydream land, but that's like where a lot of people get into where you start to think about, oh, well, could I change all of it? Could I give up my entire career and could I make this switch? There's a lot to think about in that. There's a lot. I think a lot of it depends. You know, the very first thing that I always tell people when they're kind of asking this question is like, you have to think about like what stage or what season of your life are you in? And are you talking about being somebody who's like, you know, 45 or 50 years old with a mortgage, with kids, with, you know, some credit card debt with, I'm not judging you. I'm just like, Hey, all these things are stacked up and you're making a really good and steady paycheck over here. It may or may not be the best time to, to go and say, Hey, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to put all my chips into this basket over here. I'm going to start a complete new business. I think it depends on your one personal uh, risk, uh, how much you want to take. And then number two, like, Hey, is this, is this realistic based on the responsibilities that I have as somebody who's not only responsible to myself, but to like my family and the people around me? Um, the other thing there is like, <clears throat> I'll just co cover two topics. Yeah, that, no, I like it. One. And the second one is being based in reality on your skills. This is a real big one for me. Like if you are the fucking best, if you are the absolute best, I'm talking like you're a world-class coach that you have like dedicated a lot of time and energy and passion to this thing. And like it is exuding out of your pores and people are constantly praising you and you're kind of coaching at this like magically high level. That's a different story than being like kind of interested in fitness and wanting to quit your job because you really like coaching and it's something that's cool. Like I think that there's a reality that people need to understand about the coaching game that like there's levels to this shit. There's levels of being like an okay trainer. And of course there's stuff below that and there's being good trainer. And then there's being world-class good. And, you know, when you get to that stage, I think like, yeah, you, you certainly can take a little bit more risks because you can probably go out there and be pretty darn successful and figure these things out. I'm not saying you can't do it below that, but you have to also earn some of the stripes here to go out there and think that you're going to be successful running a fitness business. Was that a jujitsu uh, uh, analogy right there? I guess so. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to highlight one thing. I, I, and then I want to hear from Gabe. I'm all, I also want to acknowledge that you could be a really great coach and maybe you found your passion, but you got to recognize that you're not um, starting 
a one-on-one, you know, if you're, you're starting a business and it'd just be like the equivalent, if you're a really great chef and you're a phenomenal cook at home, phenomenal, people love your food, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should start a restaurant. It's the same exact analogy because there's other factors that come into play when you start a restaurant, your service, your books, all that kind of stuff. And so although being a phenomenal trainer is important and it's critical for success, at least having one of those on the floor, there's this other side of the business you need to be aware of. And I think timing of that is important on where you're at in your life. But Gabe, what are your thoughts there? Whew, man, I, I just, I, I go back to something Gary V talks a lot and I, I don't Ooh, know. If Gary V, shout out Gary V. I don't know if it's necessarily convincing to me that there's any point in your life or any circumstances where if you truly aren't happy with what you're doing, staying there because it's kind of like the stable and the safe thing to do. And if you're super passionate about this thing over there, going for it and trying to get it done. Now, do people have to be realistic about uh, what it's going to take successful? Yes. But I think that at any point, you know, regardless of your age, kids, whatever, I think that it's, it's, it's better to go out and give this, whatever it is, opening a gym or something else a shot. If that's truly something that you're, it fires you up more than what you're doing now. Now, is there kind of like, I want to have a conversation I, about that. I disagree. Because I think that a lot of people, you know, end up sticking on the safe side and just grow resentful. And it, it, it I, I think that for a lot of people, it leads to this, like, you know, regret later in life where, you know, they didn't even try this thing that they would have wanted to. Now I think people's heads can't be in the clouds and, I feel like a lot of people end up doing like the napkin math on opening up a gym and they're like, well, the gym I go to charges $200 a month and the lease is this much. Like they must be making this much every month and they don't get take into account a lot of the other things. But I, I just, I struggle with just this kind of conception that there's like a certain age or a certain amount of responsibilities you have that like shackle you into where you are. Like there's there, that's it. This is the path. And like, Anything that deviates too much from the stability and safety of this path is the irresponsible thing to do. Oh, I don't think that there's shackles. I, I definitely think that people need to be personally responsible and not wanton and reckless when they go out there and try to pursue something that they're passionate about just because they get, you know, a fucking wild hair up their ass. You know, that's that that's for me the the line. It's not the fact that you could be whatever age that you want to be and you could be in whatever situation that you're in and you're always going to be, have the freedom to make your own decisions. My personal opinion on this is that you also have a responsibility at some point to not make wanton and reckless decisions. If you're the person who's putting food on the table for people who rely on you, you know, that, that to me is irresponsible to be like, I quit my job today and I'm opening a gym without necessarily having a full plan out ahead of you or having an understanding of what's going to go into it or having even really a realistic understanding of your own skills about whether or not you're going to be successful. Just because you like something doesn't always mean that you have to go and do it for a living. Now, it, I think we're kind of maybe would reach an agreement at the point where you go, yeah, I'm super passionate about this. I put all of my effort into figuring this out. I did all the due diligence. You know, I, I figured out I have this much in my savings and I can you talk to your spouse or significant other about that decision for yeah, sure. All, obviously. all those things come <laughs> into play. But, you know, to, to, 
to kind of just say that, you know, at any point in your life that you can turn and just follow whatever whimsical passion that you have, like, I, I, I don't agree with that. And like, but maybe that, that's probably not also what you were saying. No, I got a, I got an interesting yeah, analogy. Yeah. I, well, I, so well, first off, about your napkin, go ahead, Gabe, go ahead. Before, before no, because I, I, I do think that maybe I was unclear. And I, I think we agree. We're saying the same thing and that it's completely irresponsible to just go out on a whim and say, hey, this thing fires me up, so I'm going to do it without doing all the due diligence. I think if you do the due diligence, even if it might seem like a stretch, but hey, you actually have a plan where if I do steps one through 20 and it's going to be super hard, like there is a chance that this thing works out. And I also have a plan B to fall back on to where like it's not necessarily going to harm anyone if this thing even fails. I, I agree. That's that's kind of the responsible side. I just I do think that, you know, people at any point can do the hard work to figure out what's it going to take to make this work and go out and make it work. I want to just highlight two things. So first off, I uh, I actually did a deal on a napkin before. Uh, that was really interesting. I I actually wrote out a lease and um, obviously we didn't sign it, but we wrote all the details. Me and this guy wrote all the details to a lease of our Saratoga Avenue location like 10 years ago on an actual napkin at a diner. So I just, it, it can be done. But anyways, on a, a more interesting note, I was having a conversation with Juliet Sarrett and I think this is interesting perspective for someone who's interesting, interested in changing career paths. So I was talking to her and she was an attorney by trade and I found this to be really compelling. She was making a couple hundred thousand a year. She was about to make partner at her, um, at her, you know, firm. And she fell in love with fitness and she wanted to start a gym. And she had a mentor of hers say to her, you know, if you left today and you went and opened up a gym and you spent a year or two doing that and trying this pursuit and it didn't work out, she at the time was like 32 years old, let's just say, right? You're 32 years old. You could leave and go down for two years and go do something else. And you could always come back to his career path and spend the next 30 years still being a corporate lawyer. And when I heard that, it was actually pretty interesting. So let's just say you retire at 65. She was 32 years old. She could leave for two years, try it out, put her best foot forward, realize it wasn't for her, and still practice law for the next 30 years. When, you, when I thought about it through that vantage point, obviously you have all these things lined up that we we're talking about. But, you know, hypothetically, most people have a long career. And um, if you decide that you want to make a shift, I don't think it's always like a, you know, you can't shift back. Now, maybe sometimes you can't, but I think that's, that was a cool thing that she brought up. I wanted to share. So I, I, I understand the, the line of reasoning on that argument. And I just started listening to the Jordan Peterson podcast uh, that was, you know, launched with uh, Rogan four hour long odyssey man about like a lot odyssey yeah, yeah. We're about like yeah. uh, 45 minutes in but one of the, one of the things um that he was talking about at kind of the outset and obviously jordan peterson is an incredibly smart individual re, you know kind of regardless of what you think of his personal you know kind of stances on things but one of the things that he was saying that was super interesting and i like i i never really thought about it this way but the further you get away from a moment in time the less predictable the rest of your life or the rest of time is. So you can really reasonably predict what's going to happen within the next minute. Within the next minute, we're still going to be on this podcast kind of talking shit or whatever. Within the next hour, I'm going to be moving on to whatever's kind of in my calendar. Maybe, you know, 
tonight I'm going to, I'm probably going to be eating dinner and then be chilling with, with my fiance. But in a week, I don't really know what's going to happen. You maybe have a loose idea in a month, even looser idea in a year, even looser. Like, and as you go further out in time, there's like all these other variables that can come into the equation that you can't even fathom at the time that you're making the decision. So this idea that like, Hey, Juliet, and I maybe like a few, like, even before I listened to this podcast, I would have agreed with you. I've been like, yeah, she can always go back. But you, and you're making this decision right now. You have no fucking idea what's going to be the landscape in two years. And 2020 is a great example of that. Nobody knew that the economy was going to be completely thrashed by a global pandemic. So you're making that decision with the understanding that, oh, yeah, I can always go back. That may or may not be the case because you can't predict the variables within, you know, two years with any sort of reasonable certainty. Yeah. I mean, but one would argue the same thing for like, let's just say you, right? You went to law school. Okay. So you've developed a set of skills. You've earned your confidence being a lawyer or for example, for, for me, right? We started this, you know, 15 years in, in, in owning brick and mortar. It, it, could, could it be redone again? Could you go, could you utilize the skills you had developed as a lawyer and two years from now, find a way to implement that again? Do you, do you feel like you can start over again? I don't know. It's just, no, hey, I, I Alberto think, says no, you're on fire. No, MDB is on fire. He's always on fire. We got to come back to this because I think you misunderstood what, you said, what I was saying. Like I, it, you, you can't making a decision today, thinking about what's going to happen in two years is impossible. Yeah. So like, you know, that, that line that, you know, Juliet might've told herself. And I probably told myself at one point too, that I, Hey, I can always go back to being a lawyer. It makes you feel good. And yeah, maybe the odds are kind of high, but there's no way of with any sort of certainty to be able to say that in two years, the things are going to be the same, that I can always go back to the way that it was. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I like that theory about, um, that he was saying about the further time goes, the less like you you can control, like you said it way better than I did. So yeah. He was I talking like about it in terms of um, like global climate change. Climate change. Yeah. And a can of worms that I do not want to get into right now, but <laughs> it, it also made a lot of sense in terms of how people talk about climate change. Hey, did you guys see that Joe Rogan was almost uh there was like a petition to get him off Spotify for like a day. Did you guys see I that? Think, I don't think there was any almost. It I, was, yeah, I uh, see it. Uh, Neil Young, who's a obvious, uh, you know, legend in, you know, folk rock, uh, and a pretty, um, outspoken, um, you know, person on the left, he, he was saying that he was going to either remove his, all of his music from Spotify, unless they removed Rogan from Spotify. And then Spotify essentially called the bluff and said, all right, we're, we'll take your music off. Oh boy. Oh man. Oh man. All right. So by the way, uh, for those of you who are listening live, you know, shoot us your comments, shoot us with any questions you got. Alberto, thanks for the engagement, man. Appreciate you. We're going to continue to do these shows. It's a lot of fun for us just to kind of wrap on a weekly basis. We talk all the time on more like a business front, but I think when we get on this, we can talk about a variety of different subjects that, that spark our interests, like what we've been talking about today. So thank you for joining in. Make sure you guys put in your questions. Um, Gabe, what else we got on the agenda for today? Well, Barry Bonds got snuffed from the Hall of Fame again. So did he, uh, uh, someone else, right? A few people got snuffed from the from the. Well, Barry Bonds is just the one that's most infuriating, and MBV had a great point on his post. What, what are we doing here? Like Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. 
And but I did think there was interesting. The reason I want to bring it up is because I remember that when we talked about Lance Armstrong. Oh, yeah. Remember MDV, MDV pulled his lawyer string on me and convinced right. me that he was a cheater. He's a cheater. But yeah. he's still a cheater. It's not saying that Lance isn't a great athlete. <laughs> he, it's true. He didn't win all those titles, but he still belongs in the story of cycling. You can't tell the story of cycling without talking about Lance Armstrong. Yeah. The, the, the fact that Barry Bonds is in the Hall of Fame is such a fucking sham. I can't like it's so mind boggling <laughs> to me that a group of the Baseball Writers Association, the people who vote on who's going to go to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. First of all, that's a ridiculous, crazy, biased group of people are taking this moral high ground. And I saw an argument, Gabe, today that I don't know if you maybe saw as well. But the people who profited off of the steroid era in baseball, the numbers are like you can't even calculate the amount of people who profited and gained off of the steroid era in baseball. The least of which, like the writers did too. Like all those guys had prolifer- prolific writings during that period. Are you taking all those away too? It's just a weird moral argument to make. Yeah, it's strange. It's super strange and infuriating. Keith Hernandez also got snubbed. Make the argument he should be there. Yeah, oh, Roger yeah. Clemens. That's what that was another one. That's one I saw. Roger. Why Clemens. did Keith Hernandez I, get sub snubbed? Uh, he just didn't get votes. He was on the ten year bout. This was his tenth year. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. How does the Hall of Fame work? I don't keep up with baseball at all. Like not even a little bit. So how you does have- the Hall of Fame pr- process work? Well, you have to be retired for 10 years. So 10 years after your retirement, you become eligible. And then as soon as you become eligible, the writers, the baseball writers associations, they're the ones that vote and they have like a um, first place, second place, right? Like, or is that just the, the yearly awards? No, I think that there's ballots every year that are cast for the people who are eligible. But don't you it. have, so it's, you have to be retired for 10, but is it another 10 after you're retired, your eligibility ends? Because I, the, the I big thing so. about Bonds yeah, yeah. this year was the fact that it was his 10th year being eligible on the ballot. Oh. And then after 10 years, you're not eligible anymore. So next year when they go to vote, Barry Bonds' name will not be on the ballot anymore. We'd have to look up the exact rules, but I think that, that that's it. It's a shame. It is a shame. Yeah, it, it's really weird, man. It's like what kind of games are we playing here with, you know, the story of the game. Like if you're going to go to Cooperstown and want to see about, are you just going to pretend like that whole era didn't exist in baseball? And then also you're going to discount the fact that there are tons of people, not tons, but there's probably dozens and dozens of people in the hall of fame who have used performance enhancing drugs. And then you, you vote in David Ortiz, who is hands down a first ballot hall of famer, obviously, but he also had a positive test so what are we doing like is it just because barry bonds was so prolific and so involved in balco and all that kind of stuff and i don't know it's weird super strange man i was well i got a big uh i think we got a big week coming up um avis kitchen's actually coming up this week so that's a that's an exciting event we have coming up so Got a big week coming up. Got a 49er game this weekend. That should be exciting. Uh, actually, by the time this one airs on the podcast, the Niners will hopefully have already won and going to the Super Bowl. So, how's your weather? Yeah, your fair, bandwagon fandom. So, my fair weather, dude. So, it's so funny. I was at the gym yesterday. Oh, by the way, MDV. So, this is an interesting topic, actually, we should discuss briefly is when a coach is late for class. Okay. So, yesterday, I left my house. The, 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 the class started at 6 10. 
Okay. I left my house at 5 a.m. And it takes me at most, at most, most, most 30 minutes to get to our Mountain View gym, like at the most. And so I would have gotten there at least 30, 40 minutes earlier. But sure enough, I'm on the freeway and this serves me right. I normally always put on GPS uh, just because I want to see if there's traffic anywhere, but I didn't do it this morning, right? I figured, oh, 5 a.m., no traffic, no way. I get on the 85 and the whole freeway is shut down. And so basically it deters me and I end up getting there at 6.08 when the class started at 6.10. It was embarrassing. It sucked. But you want to know why the freeway was shut down? This is the craziest thing. Some guy was on a stabbing spree at 2 a.m., ran the opposite direction on the freeway and got hit and killed by a car on oncoming traffic and they shut down the freeway. That's the reason why I was almost late for class. So from a coach perspective, do you just get a, do you just get a buy if that happened to you? Like, do you get like a, hey, that's an anomaly? <laughs> I think I think someone being on a stabbing spree and then having you know dead stop traffic. I think that probably qualifies as you get a pass for that one. Um, you get a pass, right? Uh, yeah, Overcome by events, pass. you get a pass. You know, I, I this if you wouldn't get a pass if you left your house at six a.m. and you mm. could normally get there by six o eight and your class starts at six ten, but because you know there was a stabbing spree, you got there late. <laughs> that that's a whole different story. That's like a you know, you have to be in the gym, you know, in my opinion, at least 15 minutes before your class starts. Um, everybody kind of gets one of these mulligans, you know, everybody gets one, Hey, you know, my alarm went over or, you know, my, the power went out and the clocks are all fucked up or whatever. If you're coaching, you should have a serious command on your schedule and when you got to be there and understand the traffic patterns and always use GPS and all that kind of stuff. But like, um, yeah, for the most part, man, you know, being late is like completely unacceptable. Those freak yeah. scenarios happen though. Dude, it was crazy. But uh, back to the 49ers. Yes, I, um, I am a total fair weather fan. So I get to the gym and I'm all, you know, razzle dazzled. I'm all fired up because I was just trying to like zip through traffic. I get there and I'm like, all right, everybody. So who's as fired up as I am about the Niner game this weekend? And of course, I am a fair weather fan. Like I just started talking about this like three weeks ago when they hit the playoffs. But uh, oddly enough, in Mountain View, there was only like two or three people that were fired up and the class had 20 people at it. And uh, it just wasn't the demographic for it. So that felt like a dud real quick. It was like, my energy was here. Like, wah, wah, wah. But yeah, it's coming up this weekend. It's going to be exciting. Man, fair weather fans, dude. Must be nice. Must be nice. I'm a Mets fan through thick and thin and it's actually a problem. It, it significantly deteriorates my quality of life once oh, baseball man. rolls around. Yeah, the the family and I, you know, we're getting into it because Caden's getting more into sports. You know, I'm getting more into it now too. But for for the most part, we don't watch much. Yeah. I think a, a very interesting topic at some point to talk about is like coaches who use uh, the floor or the like the the gym as a performance where they are kind of always telling jokes and it's like always comedy hour and like when does where is the line? And I certainly have my opinion on this. Where's the line between like, hey, this is adding value to the class and it's like, okay, shut the fuck up. Like, let's start like moving and working out and stop telling stories and jokes. The, uh, I, you know, I've had my own experiences with coaches where I'm like, this is too much. This is crazy. Yeah. You just got to have the self-awareness to like read the room because I mean, you, I, I don't know. And this is one of those things where I, I, I think I'm very fortunate to just kind of like, I feel have a good, you know, be able to tell, 
where I, I feel like some people just, you know, it, it, they kind of miss it because there are definitely some times where when I was coaching, it would be a lot more of that. And sometimes where you can just tell it's like, today's not the day, not getting the response, not the vibes, like cut it right here. And we're going to be all business and everyone's going to have a better experience for it. Um, but yeah, for some people, it just, you know, whether it's the music they pick or the jokes they tell, the stories they tell. And if you're in that class, like you can tell, you're looking around and you're like, dude, this is just not hitting. And like, yeah. you just like, you want to like shake them. Yeah. yeah. I like Frankie's uh, dad joke of the day. We I always pull it because it's more of like a funny, like it takes 20 seconds, right? You just do the dad joke and you move on. But um, guys, the, I know the, we got a lot of stuff. Go ahead. The one thing I would say though, that um, I forget, someone gave me this advice and I can't, can't remember now. And I thought it was really good is if, if you are self-aware that you don't, you, you know, you maybe miss that feedback of seeing if things are hitting or not. It's always better to err on the side of less than more. I think that that's kind of the, sure. the helpful tactical advice is, you know, just keep it super simple and don't go like above and beyond if you don't have that really clear pulse on what's hitting and what isn't. I Matt, also there's a, a great book to check out as a topic on this topic is the ideal team player. We'll have to go check that out. There's also a, an understanding of what type of personality that you have and, you know, whether or not you can pull off certain types of tones or humor or with the audience that you're working with. And like you said, reading the room and understanding who you are, I think is really important because when you're, there's nothing worse than watching a coach trying to force material that's not working. That's the absolute most cringe worthy type of stuff that you could ever see in a class where it's just like, obviously the jokes aren't landing. The stories are going too long. The entire class is sitting around going like, what the, what the hell is going on here? And I made a post about this the other day. On my social, which is that nobody ever walks out of a fitness class and go, oh man, class sucked today. Like we moved the whole time. All we did was move the entire time. Nobody says that, but there are certainly experiences where people walk out and go, dude, what the fuck? I didn't even sweat. And all we did was listen to coach talk all day about their last competition or whatever. So there's definitely a line. I think that it's an interesting conversation, but where that line is. Hey, all I got to say is that this episode is brought to you by Last Port Coffee. <laughs> MDV, <laughs> shout out to MDV and Last Port Coffee. Um, I'm it's like just kidding. In Wayne's World, where he's sponsored by Reebok and Pepsi and wearing all the. Yeah, gear. that's what yeah. we do. Hey, you know what we need to talk about next week is uh, the monster uh, energy and how some people are like so up in arms and some people could care less. We should talk about that about in the Ooh, fitness space. Clo super closing, closing remarks, Mr. Gabe Yanez, Mr. MDV. What do we got? Uh, well, we're coming up on day 18. Like oh, EOE. EOE 40 challenge. Um, quick update on, on my side of things. I've, I've gotten to the point now where, and it's super interesting how like, and this is something we can talk about next week and like habit forming and stuff, but I've definitely gotten to the point where, you know, I'm eating these three big meals and I'm making them big enough that I wouldn't necessarily need to snack during the day. And now that I think that I've like cut the actual like habit of reaching for things when I'm just bored, I like don't need to snack at all. Like it's, it's, I've gotten to a really nice point where I can see myself continuing this throughout and I think I'll be better for it because digestion especially does just feel better, which is supposed to be one of the things that, you know, is helped by not constantly eating, but instead having like really good balanced three meals. So I thought that was interesting. It happened around probably two weeks in. So day 14, I noticed that I didn't have that urge anymore because I work from the kitchen um, to like constantly go to the pantry and, you know, grab some pistachios or a slice of cheese or something. Very cool. Yeah, I think um, 
you know, we're getting close to halfway mark with the EOE 40 challenge. Um, there's probably a lot of things that you learned in the first 18 or 19 days. There's going to be a lot of things that you'll learn in the second half as well. I, I talked a little bit about this again on my own social, but this is the time, at least for me, where the challenges get really hard, where you're not yet over the hump of halfway, but you're already past the initial kind of really high energy of, Hey, I just started this. I'm super fired up about it. My first two weeks went really well. And now it's like, ah, can I slide a little bit? Can, hey, ending my eating window at 9 p.m., can that really be 9.30? Or, hey, if I'm eating fruit past 9 p.m., is that really like, you know, still eating past 9 p.m. type of deal? What I would say, if anybody out there is listening is doing the EOE 40 Challenge, whatever rules you set for yourself, don't bend them until you get to the end of the 40 days. Now, get to the end of the 40 days. Keep your rules. Keep them as strict as possible. Really tap into that higher level of discipline. This is what really matters about these challenges is when nobody is looking, you might be able to say, ah, yeah, I made some really good gains in the first two weeks and I can bend this rule because I want to. Don't do it. Have the discipline to stick to your plan. See what happens on the other side of 40 and you're going to realize some awesome stuff like Gabe is realizing with his three meals a day. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about EOE 40. Uh, day 18, I've been very consistent. From a nutrition perspective, one of the things I found is really interesting is that last night I had um, tri-tip and a whole avocado for dinner. That's And like six berries. That's what I had for dinner. And I was so full. Um, and I, I, I know that sounds like stupid, but I was very full. And I think it was because of the, the fat in the avocado. But I felt super satisfied by it. And I find that my body's finally kicking into gear. Um, I also connected with the liver king. Um, and uh, supposedly he's sending me out some liver and some bone marrow. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into with this. Oh, this but I will keep amazing. you guys posted on how this goes. So, Oh, dude, we got to get the liver king on the podcast. Dude, like, it's, it's a so, must. Dude, the liver king. I mean, you should have seen his email. He was so fired up about liver. I'm, I'm ready. Oh, dude, do you? All right. We don't have to get into this. I don't know much about him. Just look at his Instagram. He's the best. The best. Dude, I should have. Uh, next time I'll pull up his email because it's like it's like I can I can hear his enthusiasm through the email coming coming across to me. So oh, I'm getting man. I'm getting 10 pounds of liver and 10 pounds of bone marrow. I don't know that's what I'm gonna lot. do, but that's a lot. It's a lot of liver, it's a lot of bone marrow. Dude, liver's like tough. Of... Liver's so, tough. Anyways. So Hey, right. on next week's episode, I'll let you guys know how it's going. Next but, week's uh, episode, the Liver King is going to be the fourth box right here next to MVB. It's going to be oh the four of us. The hey, yeah, wear shirts less than I do. Hey, I got to bring. We got to bring in the Liver King. Uh, oh, well, please, hey, please. gentlemen, uh, it's always great catching up with you. For those of you who are listening live, really, really appreciate you guys coming on. We're going to continue to do these. I really enjoy them, and hopefully, uh, we'll get more and more live listeners so we can get some great engagement and questions. If you're listening to this on the podcast, thank you for checking in. And uh, Gabe, MDV, keep crushing it. And I hope you guys all have a great day.